If you've been told to pull up your socks, then make sure it's a pair of TNT socks. The TNT shop is now open at tntradio.live. You're with Joseph Arthur and his Technicolor Dreamcast on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. I was recently in New York City for an event my friend Rich Pagano had for his son who tragically passed away due to substance abuse. It was a substance abuse recovery event. And Rich is one of these New York City beacons of uh, righteousness, you could say. He's a drummer of great rapport with the whole New York City community. There was a who's who's of musicians and session people and uh and uh, uh my next guest was there as well and, and one of the best things was the backstage jam that was happening uh between yorma and jimmy vivino and a whole laundry list of uh characters really really amazing to behold and just to be in that energy of music and expression uh yorma has been from the jefferson airplane uh, on and on it goes hot tuna solo career he's been in the music and thriving in music since woodstock altamont monterey on through the 80s and 90s and into now it's amazing if you think about it the entire scope of popular music really he has witnessed and and struggled through and been on top of and probably all kinds of situations in between yorma Kyle Conan is an American blues folk and rock guitarist. He is best known for his work with Jefferson Airplane, inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1996, and his ongoing performances with Hot Tuna, a band he co-founded with bassist Jack Cassidy. Yorma's musical journey reflects a rich blend of influences, including country blues, folk, and Americana. His finger-style guitar playing is amazing. This goes on to say other stuff. Rolling Stone uh, listed him number 54, the top 100 guitar players of all time. Plus, he wrote an amazing book. He's actually very much a poet. Um, anyway, he's here with us now. Yorma, thank you for coming on the show. It's an honor to speak with you. How are you today? Are you in Ohio? I am in Ohio, and uh, thanks for having me on. I'm glad everything's working. It snowed a little bit today, <laughs> but it's supposed to be out in the 50s or 60s tomorrow, so who knows? Well, I'll tell you what, Yorma, I am in Arizona where it's always 75 degrees and it's, until right. it's 145 degrees. But I grew up in Ohio. I am from Akron, Ohio. I was born and raised zero to 18. And then I spent 25 long, grueling years in New York. So I know winter. You I do. know winter well. <laughs> well, I'm in southeast Ohio. Yeah, up in Akron, you guys get real winter. It's just wintry mix down here. Yeah. It's true. When I was a kid, we would sometimes get buried in the snow. There would be snowstorms where like the cars were all buried and stuff like that. That was awesome as a kid because you got to, like it was like this amazing land you could play and build forts and all that. But also uh, talking about Rich Pagano's recovery event, Akron is the birthplace of Bill Wilson and Dr. Bob meeting the 12 step Bethlehem, if you will. That's true. True. And uh Guess how many steps are in front of Bob, Dr. Bob's house? Trick question. Yeah, there's 12. In any case, yeah, I've been, I've been to Founders Day for a number of years up there, and it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a great place for recovering drugs. Yeah. Well, I mean, as I was saying in the intro, you've gone from, you know, yeah, Akron's special, I think. Of, you know, it's a special place, Ohio. 
but Agreed. you yeah you um you know you've seen you've kind of almost like zelig of music in a way i hope that doesn't sound reductive but you've witnessed so much of uh of all that we sort of laud about popular music like to be in woodstock to be at altamont like the sort of what's considered the end of the 60s and then sort of the birth of the 60s and then you know to know jerry garcia and all these and janice joplin before they got famous like what do you spend a lot of time thinking i mean you probably live in the present moment because your present moment's awesome but do you ever like pinch yourself and go like wow i saw a lot of things happen and was involved in this cultural phenomenon for so many years uh, i'm not really a i mean look i've led a really interesting life and a lot of i've been lucky a lot of interesting things have happened to me and if you think about you know my you know tangenting the the, uh, the the popular music world on a you know on a grand scale it was an utter fluke you know it wasn't something i aspired to um i just really enjoyed you know you you've heard me play what i do with the fingerstyle guitar etc cetera, etc cetera. and that's pretty much where i live but you know in san francisco for some reason who knows what it was in 1964 and 65 a bunch of interesting things happen. And it got a bunch of guys like me who probably wouldn't have fallen into, quote, the music business in that on that level. It happened. Now I had a number of friends, you know, that were players that lived in LA and they all came up through the studio system, you know, and they their names are probably nobody's ever heard of because they wound up just being studio players. But, you know, all of a sudden, you know, me and my pals found ourselves on a on a on a local and a national and then an international stage and you just can't script that stuff. So I think when I think when on those rare occasions when I look back and just think about you know the span of my life for example it's like you now how how could all of this have happened? I mean so many people you know work with a again I don't really have experience with this kind of a musical you know you know business kind of thing uh, where I've got a machine working for me et cetera et cetera but. You know, just a lot of stuff happened. And even after I left the airplane and then Jack and I have had hot tuna pretty much ever since then, for some strange reason, people want to still hear us tell our story. And we're able to do that without having a hit record. That's the magic. Yeah, I, don't, I mean, well, for one, you've just been involved in so much phenomenal music. You are a phenomenal musician as well. And, you know, it's just, it is interesting. I, it's like, it's hard not to slip into like, you know the chris farley bit on saturday night live like remember woodstock that was awesome right like it's like no, those no, kind I get of it. questions you know what yeah, I mean? no, I like, wow altamont that was awesome right i mean but what what like yeah so and i and i want to talk about like okay one big question is like you were a standout at that event and uh it, for real this is not just smoke i mean you you yeah. held you held the space you held the soul barely like really this quiet style but that's not always how you've been you were in the 80s going out with big effects units and stuff like that and harmonizers and messing with effects right. and doing all kinds of like you've gone you've run the gamut you know so you've stayed vital musically for all these years i guess one question i could ask that's sort of more to do with present moment is how have you remained creatively vital all these years? Well, I think that's a good, <clears throat> excuse me, I think that's a good question. 
And one of the things is that throughout all this stuff, you know, I just loved the music in general and the guitar in particular. I've never fallen out of love with it. You know, uh, I haven't been doing a lot with effects lately because I've been concentrating on, on quote unquote, pure electric guitar and acoustic guitar, but I haven't turned my back on it. You know, it's at some point, who knows what's going to pop out of the woodwork, but it's always been uh, seductive and inviting to me. Uh, it's never been boring. And I've been very fortunate too, because my, my fan base has always allowed me to do this kind of stuff. You know, it's, it's easy for, you know, somebody who's achieved some sort of notoriety in the music business to have, have their fans turn on them because they turn into something they don't want to hear. And I get that too. I mean, that's okay. That's just life. But, but the people that like to hear me play have allowed me to do anything. Some better mm -hmm. than others. Some, some things better than others. Yeah. My fan base keeps turning on me, Yorman. <laughs> I keep trying new things, and then they keep turning on me and saying, no, I'm we don't like you it. anymore. And then they like me again six months later, or I get new ones. I can't, I don't know which it is, but, <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, so, I mean, um, you know, the, the ebb and flow of the music business, I mean, you know, you know you're too close to all this stuff you probably get to see it some way better than me but you just never know what's going to happen you know you just never know what's going to happen yeah well i like what you say about just never falling out of, of love with the guitar it's like it's something that just yeah it never ends like the it's so weird too because and it came out of the sort of 60s generation like Jimi hendrix and all that stuff uh, the 27 club people dying when they were 27 and the idea right. that once you were 30, you couldn't be trusted anymore. I remember thinking like th that once I turned 30, oh, it's almost over now. And then, but now I'm 52 and I'm like, man, I feel like I'm just a beginner again. I feel like completely inspired to to go forward with this in a new energetic way like does the energy for you keep resetting itself do you ever go through periods where you kind of burn out and then come back to it revitalized not really because uh because i don't have the, i don't have any pressure on me to constantly come up with something new again people like me let me do whatever i want to do also yeah, in a normal world, I'd be a great grandfather. But in this one, I have a 17-year-old daughter and a 27-year-old son. And they don't care about all the stuff that we're talking about. I'm just dead, you know. But when I do something cool, like if they come to see a gig, hey, man, I enjoyed the show. And I go, wow, you really listened. I mean, you know, that keeps it real for me. That always keeps it real for me. And it's, uh, you know, again, I was just talking to somebody about the, the guitar business. They're saying, well, you've played this song for... 50 years or 60 years, whatever it is. And I'm going, yeah, and I'm still trying to get it right. I mean, I still, you know, I'm always working on new stuff, et cetera, et cetera. But honestly, the the things that I've been playing most of my musical life, I am still trying to get them right. And there's they're mutating also. So everything's in mm -hmm. a state of flux. And every good song is like a, an outfit for the day's emotions, I find. Like I, I can yeah. play a song I wrote 25 years ago I mean, I did at that event, the Rich Pigano event, I did a, a couple songs that were pretty damn old and it's the emotion of the day fits right in them like a glove and they're a new creation Agreed. again. Agreed. That's yeah. a good point. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, the, you know, the other aspect of you that's really interesting is how good you are with the words. You're a great writer. Um, 
And so was that, I know you're, you journaled for a long time, but you wrote this book, this autobiography, and you right. didn't have a ghostwriter. Um, how did that come to be? And are you writing other things? Do you write poetry collections? Do you want to write anything that's fiction? I mean, do you have other aspirations in that realm? I don't think that I'm, honestly, that I'm organized well enough to write fiction because there's a lot of strings I think you have to pull together. I talked to the publisher of my book, uh, been so long, do you ever think about writing fiction? So I just don't think I have the ability yet to pull that stuff together. But yeah, I write stuff all the time. And um, I don't know what the next next move I'm going to make is. But I think what happened also is, is that my mom and dad were both first generation Americans. You know, my dad was a Finnish American, my mom was a Russian American, and their first language was not English. So when they learned English, it was really important for them to educate themselves and, and learn words. Words are important. And so growing up in our household, I always tell people I have a large vocabulary of words I almost know the meaning of. I mean, you know, my parents were throwing words around like like, like salad, like tossed salad, you know. And I've always been comfortable with them. I enjoy them. It's a kind of music to me in a way. And uh, it doesn't hurt to have a good editor, by the way, but that's another story. And uh yeah, to you know, to be able to describe something verbally is is very exciting to me. In the same way that if I'm playing some, I mean, you know, you play music, you know the deal. We're always creating like a sonic landscape. You know, to be able to work in both those 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 realms is really neat. Yeah, it's amazing. I think I think in the future, being a writer of words will be more and more important all the time, especially with AI. I think because. AI visually, I think AI is going to be pretty stunning and musically AI is going to be stunning, but concepts and written words, I don't think it's going to be able to um, contend with things. And of course, like what you do, the soulful sort of acoustic blues stuff is going to be more difficult, I think, for AI to deal with. But I mean, AI is pretty interesting in terms of being able to sort of supplement your artistic expression. Have you messed at all? with AI and are you like, do you have a knee jerk reaction against it or do you think it's exciting? Uh, I've never messed with it myself. Um, and, I, but I do think it's exciting. Uh, I'm not, you know, we all think about, you know, uh, you know, Terminator and Skynet and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I'm sure there's some uh, dark side effects to all this stuff, but, but, but look, it's just a part of life. As I said, I haven't messed with it yet myself because I've had no cause to. And I also don't believe that it's going to replace, you know, guys like you and me that, that actually make music with our hands, too. I don't think it's going to replace it. I think it's going mm -hmm. to add something if we choose to use it. And if we don't, we'll be okay, too. That's right. That's exactly it. It's going to help guys like me and you. Um, it won't replace guys like me and you. Absolutely agree with that. So, um, well, I, I do have to ask a little bit about some of the some of the sort of historical things as well and just the the jerry garcia janice joplin the woodstock stuff and mainly is how much was psychedelics involved in that whole movement is that overhyped it, it or is that was that really an important aspect of it did psychedelics it, i know that you're a sober person but did psychedelic bill wilson actually messed with lsd actually with AA? so yeah, so was psychedelics important to that whole era or do you think it's been overhyped i think it depends on the artist you're talking about the Je jefferson airplane was not a psychedelic band um you know everybody did a lot of drugs back there it's not that's 
no big surprise to anybody. Uh, I think some bands, and I now have to speak for themselves, use psychedelics more than others. Where I think psychedelics came into play was for the listener. Like the first time uh, I remember, that I've told the story a million times, but but uh, I remember I was sort of dismissive of the Beatles. And one of my friends was a studio cat from uh, from L.A. named Steve Mann came up to San Jose where I was living in 64. And he said, here, you got to, we're sitting around playing the guitars. Here, you got to, you got to take this little sugar cube. What's it going to do? Wait and Make see. Make the Beatles good. <laughs> Make the Beatles sound uh, amazing. So, dude. <laughs> so, of course, so we're, we're tripping and, and, um, and, and I don't recommend this, kids. Yes, we were driving around. You're not supposed to do that. But anyway, so I'm driving along <laughs> and I was driving this friend's Volkswagen Beetle. I have the radio on. The sun is just coming up and I'm looking into my rearview mirror and I was, an 18 wheeler pulled right up behind me, and it looks like it was about to swallow the car. And at that moment, George Harrison's guitar solo for she, She's a Woman came on. And in that moment, I got it completely. So, my point being, as a listener, it absolutely opened my mind up to another way to listening stuff. As a player, I watch my fingers. So, when my fingers turn into snakes, it's not a good thing. <laughs> oh really i think it maybe is a good thing but i don't know that's a whole other <laughs> that's a whole other oh, rabbit hole <laughs> rabbit hole white rabbit there you go um but uh yeah so i don't know it's it's so interesting did you ever get to meet Jimi hendrix so yeah i i uh jack, jack actually became pretty close with jimmy uh, we met Jimmy at at Monterey, which is the first time that those of us West Coast ever saw him. You know, we t we take a lot of that guitar pyrotechnics for granted because there's been a lot of one under the bridge since then. But Jimmy, in, in addition to having a lot of tricks, was also a very deep cat too. In any case, yeah, to see that show at Monterey was like, whoa, what's going on there? So my my exciting things for Monterey were Jimi Hendrix and Otis Redding. Right. Kind of two sides, two sides of the same coin, sort of. Yeah, nobody's been a better singer than Otis Redding probably ever. Oh and Yeah, what a band leader, know. too. Yeah. I didn't know that. I didn't know he was a great band leader as well. What makes a great band leader? Why was he good at it? Well, I th I don't know why he was, but if you, if you listen to any of his tracks or if you see the live stuff um, at Monterey, you know, there's so much, he had a, a fairly large band and everything is so heavily architected. I mean, we were just rock kids playing guitars. We didn't need all that, that arranging and stuff like that. You know, there's just so much more intellectual stuff, I think, in that kind of soul music than in what we were doing at the time. It's weird too, because I believe he passed, he was 26 years old, right? I mean, yeah. And, and you say like he's an amazing band leader and just his whole voice it just sounds like a 40 something year old guy looks like that Jimi hendrix the same thing same why were people so much more advanced back then than they are now well i think it depends on what what person you're talking about i mean jimmy and and otis i mean i didn't know them in a way so i can say yeah they told me this and that but it seems to me that they just knew what they wanted to do with their art and how to make that happen mm -hmm. now we understand that everything doesn't always go the way it's planned but but uh i mean if you, you remember when like otis would be doing something and they'd be singing a song and then he'd have a thing where he'd want the band to stop and he 
do something like some sort of a hand gesture, and boom, the band would stop and another part of the band would start playing something else. I mean, that's heavy shit. I'm not an arranger, you know. I'm used to, like, the guys that I play with, I play with them because we sort of read each other and, and make stuff happen, and it works. It's a conversation. But And I think that Jimmy probably worked that way, too, especially in a trio on stage. But I do understand, because Jack was at the Electric Ladyland sessions, he actually played on a couple songs with Jimmy, and he was saying that he was in complete control of what was happening in the studio. He knew how to manifest what it is he wanted to show. Anyway, but but certainly with Otis, you know, he was he was he was playing that band like an instrument. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think of Bob Dylan, too, who's like when he was 18, he was already just so self-empowered and sure of himself in his direction. It's just like humans don't come like that anymore to like it doesn't seem, right. you know, it, it takes us so many more years to get that sort of self-assured so i've just <laughs> been like, going down the, the dylan the dylan rabbit hole again uh on the, one of these streaming services that i listen to and i realized how much of his stuff got by me because he's done so much work over the years but but remember i think by the time blonde on blonde came in i think that was his sixth album that's man. a lot of record for a young guy to put out Dude, and uh, Highway 61, no, it was, uh, yeah, Highway 61, then Blonde on Blonde, and then John Wesley Harding, which is just like you could see all the way through to the bottom of that thing. It's like some Nashville session, and it's just amazing. The songs are amazing, but it's complete left turn from Blonde on Blonde where he was getting sort of lauded, but then that was the era, too, where he went electric and got booed off the stage every night, right, and didn't tour for a long time. I, I love that story. That's so great. Yeah, what a yeah, what a time, huh? And then Christian, and then he comes out with like, I mean, I don't know exactly the trajectory, but then pretty not lo that long after that, he comes out with Christian music, saved and slow train coming, and it may be the yeah. devil or it may be the Lord, but you know, you got to serve somebody. <laughs> like, I mean. He was an artist that flew in the face of what was expected of him all the time. I feel like now, like recently, we've seen artists kowtow to uh, propaganda and and just afraid to take a stand that would get them canceled. What did you think of all, all that? In particular, I mean, someone like Neil Young going against Spotify for allowing Joe Rogan's podcast to decimate information that was different from the mainstream. Right. Did that bug you? And I'm not asking you to go to war with Neil Young or anything like that or trash oh. talk him, but did, did you have any feelings about that whole era of what we've just been through or what's your take on the whole thing? You know, my, my thing really is I'm an eternal optimist. Vanessa, am I eternal optimist? Okay. That's my hey, Vanessa. Way. <laughs> Thanks for setting this up, Vanessa. I appreciate you. Sure. Yeah, so, you know, Vanessa will tell you, Vanessa's very outspoken. If you, you, could, you could devote a podcast to how she feels about all this. All I right, believe she's on next. <laughs> Vanessa, when, we got to set you up for next time. Oh, <laughs> all right, go uh, ahead. So go ahead, you are <laughs> No, I mean, it's just that I believe that, you know, Listen, people have been around for a long time and we're going to get through all this incredibly repulsive nonsense that we're going through right now. Um, yeah. And I, you know, Neil Young is a very outspoken guy. I have nothing but respect for the way he's, for the way he's handled his art. I mean, like he cares what I think, but you know, his artistic career, 
you know, he's playing Harvest, beautiful album, or he's playing Beyond mm -hmm. Grunge or whatever. I mean, he's just always Amazing. been totally to, to just do whatever he wants to do. As Dylan, True. what we're talking about, that's, that's, I think that's, they're, they're people of respect, artists of respect. Now, again, you know, I've been around for a long time, and, but I've never had a lot of, a lot of, uh, a career to, to, to lose based on my changing what it is that I want to do or et cetera, because I'm just me, you know, I mean, people, I don't know, they, they cut me a lot of slack. I guess that's the bottom of the line. So it's real easy for me to just have whatever opinions that I have. And if people agree with them, great. And if not, I'm not going to go to war with anybody because I don't care. But I, yeah. I mean, I, I care in the privacy of my heart, but it's just not something that I feel is necessary to run up the flagpole. However, right. Oh hey, hey here my I just Vanessa just sent me a thing here. So she said, Did didn't Neil Young babysit your cat? And the answer is yes. <laughs> when I first moved to San Francisco, I had a little sidebar here. I had a this is great, a third dude. floor walk-up on Divisadero Street, a third floor walk-up, ninety dollars a month in San Francisco with a garage. Anyway, uh wow. yeah. Exactly. So anyway, so we were we were going on the road for a weekend, and and uh, you know Neil needed a place to stay. We I mean we weren't like buddy buddies, but we knew each other. Needed a place to stay. You can have my place. Feed my cat. Anyway, that's awesome. I mean, yeah, like I um I heard you were talking with that backstage at the New York event, the City Winery thing, like how this kind of reminded you of the sort of that era where people would just get together and jam how, how do yeah. you what do you think of that like was that just the result of the culture of the time do you think that that's kind of lost on us now or do you or do you still cultivate it around you and, and i'll say this too about what you were saying earlier i just feel like you're the type of person that garners a tremendous amount of respect by the weight of your beingness i think it's a spiritual thing well, I'm, I'm I'm unqualified to weigh in on that, but you, you know, yeah, this is a good subject. You're talking about the the, the jammy thing at that gig at at the Pagano's gig backstage. I can't remember the last time that happened because there was mm. no pressure. None of us were there doing our show or anything like that. You know, we were there to help out, to play some music if somebody needed you to sit in. I mean, you know, you were part of the whole thing. That was exciting stuff. And for people to be just hanging out in a room as we did uh, at the city winery there, and people to be able to throw songs around or just just screw around with guitars or whatever, boy, I can't remember the last time that's happened on that on that level. Now, back in the day when we first started out, again, San Francisco was sort of like the utterly unprofessional music scene. You know, we weren't studio cats. You know, we didn't. You know, we were just trying to find our way. And as a result, all musicians have egos. <clears throat> We're not going to argue that point. <laughs> but we went to see each other play all the time. We hung out. There was lots of jamming. Nobody cared if you rehearsed and screwed things up. I mean, so in a way, it was, it was an incredibly rich learning environment, if not a hyper-professional one. And everybody cut each other a lot of slack. So there was always a conversation going on. It's a good thing. You know, I wonder if it happened because of the the gnarliness we've just come out of that where it's like almost like we all learned 
and, and I could be this could be a stretch, but we all learn to appreciate the sort of finer things of life, which are that kind of thing, just jamming in the backstage, like where's maybe like you get sort of jaded as you're going, go, 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 everything's moving and operating well. And then, but then all of a sudden the world shuts down for years and you find yourself back in the place where you're in a musical event and you're like, wait a minute, this is also an opportunity. You know what I mean? Not that anyone consciously thought that, but I, I think maybe those things spring out of that kind of thing. Maybe. I think, I think that there's definitely, you know, getting through the pandemic and all that stuff where guys like you and me are out of work and stuff like that. Absolutely. <laughs> to see live human beings again, you know, yeah. some people were masked, but, but many weren't actually be able to see expressions, et cetera. Yeah, that, that was quite a thing. And the other thing too, I think is they were all, I mean, that building was just, was overloaded with talent that night, you know, mm -hmm. and, I'm not saying that there wasn't some prima donna behavior there. I'm just saying I didn't see anybody. Everybody was just I there to hang. I know. To hang, have a good I time. I didn't see any. If you could participate, you participated. If we're living, listening, you just loved what was going on. Yeah. I mean, listen, I was being a prima donna on the inside, but I didn't let it come out. Anyway, I'm just kidding. Oh, let me take a quick break, and we'll be right back after these words on TNT. Deweaponizing weather with reality and perspective. Dr. Matthew Wilicki is a bit like Dr. Judith Curry. Both of them were prominent academics in their field, and they left their field because of the fact they could not put up with the whole global warming missive. And of course, they have become outcasts. Dr. Curry actually had some of her background at Penn State, and she has been called some mean and nasty names by Michael Mann, to a point where I don't understand why she hasn't sued him for libel and slander, but it's her life. In any case, Dr. Wilicki has this idea about rethinking climate change metrics. Now, this is not an old idea. In fact, one of my professors at Penn State back in the 70s said that temperature is a third-rate way of measuring climate, and he's right, because the temperature can spread apart from what we call the dew point. What is a better way to measure climate is with what we call wet bulbs. But better than that, the best of all is water vapor. We have something that we work with as meteorologists called saturation mixing ratios. And it shows a direct correlation between the amount of water vapor in the air and the temperature. So why aren't we quantifying water vapor? You know why? Because it will reveal that water vapor is the main driving force behind the warming. Now what's causing extra water vapor? Well, it's not extra CO2 in the air, it's the warming oceans. What's warming the oceans? That's not from the extra CO2 in the air either. So Dr. Wilicki's idea of rethinking climate change metrics is an excellent idea. And we should be quantifying water vapor. Fat chance given $63 trillion is already behind this whole net zero agenda. This is TNT climate and weather watchdog meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you've got. Right now. The forgotten poor are waiting for healing and care, for life-saving medical care, for a chance to live with dignity and hope. They are waiting for Mercy Ships and you. Mercy Ships is the largest floating civilian hospital in the world with volunteer medical staff and crew who donate their time to save lives. 
And now, as our newest state-of-the-art hospital ship sets sail, Mercy Ships will double our ability to reach children and adults who need us now. Without the work of Mercy Ships, these patients don't have another option. Mercy Ships is answering the call to serve suffering people who have nowhere else to turn. Together, we are going to some of the world's most desperate places and bringing a wave of hope and healing to those who need it most. Thank you! Thank you! To learn more about this wave of hope, go to mercyships.org today. You're with Joseph Arthur and his Technicolor Dreamcast on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Back here with Yorma Calconan. And uh, hey, so Yorma, you were talking about the Beatles before and not really getting them at first. Um, But you know what's so funny is uh, it reminded me of Lou Reed, uh, who was like sort of always kind of trash talking the Beatles. And then it reminded me of Andy Warhol and Lou Reed and the whole New York punk rock scene that was sort of, at least where what we've been told has been the sort of this reaction to the sort of hippies of the West and the sort of Woodstock era music. Did you feel that energy then when, when like Velvet Underground came out? Did you even listen to it? Did you check out the sort of punk rock music that came out later? Iggy Pop and the Stooges and that sort of whole different energy of popular music then and think, wow, this sucks or, um, oh, wow, this is amazing. This is the new thing and start writing punk rock songs or what, what was your response to that? Yeah, so I, I remember when the Velvet Underground came and played the Fillmore. And I'll, I'll, I'll admit, I didn't get it. I, I, I didn't get it. <laughs> now, since then, I've gotten to get it on another level because it's a different beast. You know, there's not a bunch of guitar geeks and all like It's just a different animal. You know, mm-hmm. at the, but at the time, there you, you know, this is really so funny to think back on. Right, right. around the time I got on Jefferson Airplane, I was thinking about going to Europe, you know, champion Jack Dupree, the great blues piano players living in Denmark. I figured maybe I'd hang out with the Americans who were like expats. I'd play blues in Europe and I'd be a blues man or whatever, whatever that means. You know, the thought of playing pop music was like anathema to me. I was like, watch, well, you know, I can't do that because I'm a, I'm a blues man. Well, there's a bunch. I mean, that's, 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 that, that's the nonsensical thinking of somebody in their early twenties, really, you know, but but so, you know, as time went on and I just realized, listen, sounds are just sounds, you know, there's a lot of communication that goes with them and you get it, you get it, or you don't get it, you know, and it's, it's, uh, you can't judge people by your own yardstick, which I think I tended to do in the beginning, but being out in the real world has a way of humbling you every day. And I'm being in a popular band and we're going to get to the New York thing in a second, where you go to New York to play, which is always like home for the Jefferson Airplane and Hot Tuna today for that matter. And you meet all these people. Like I remember I went to an Andy Warhol party one time where I met Salvador Dali. He had like <laughs> half a mustache. I mean, when would when would a folky guitar player from from California meet Salvador Dali, except getting into a rock band and going to New York? So, you know, my my world expanded like a yeah, like a Roman candle going off. And I soon realized that, you know, there's a lot of ways to skin this cat. And as long as you're having a good time and the sounds please you, it's all going to be good. 
So when you're in New York at Andy Warhol's factory party or whatever and meeting Salvador Dali, what's going through your mind? Did you know who Salvador Dali was? Did you know who Andy Warhol was? Was Andy Warhol garnering respect and awe from you guys? Or was it like, oh, this trash pop artist that's like conning everybody? What was your take? I, I think I think my take was, I can't believe I'm actually here seeing this. Because you know, we always looked at that stuff from a distance. It always looked cool. I saw Andy Warhol's movie. I, it always looked cool. And they had a bunch of good-looking women and all this stuff, too, also. That didn't hurt either. But, <laughs> but yeah, and, you know, all of a sudden, it's like, how did I get here? How did I get here? You know, and it's kind of funny. At one time, the airplane did a, did a benefit for Bobby Kennedy, and they flew us out from San Francisco in a Learjet, and we did all that that stuff. And we got there, and we went, and they had a, par a party at the Kennedy's house, and we met all these people. It's like, what parallel universe have I somehow managed to step into? And as a sidebar, it was all because of the music. I've had some moments like that, too. In fact, I just did uh, an event opening up for Robert F. Kennedy Jr. at one of his campaign events, but I did Masters of War because uh, because he's supporting like the Israel uh, Israel uh, attack on Gaza uh, full force, you know, and whatever. And I don't want to go down that rabbit hole right now, but I was I kind of like saying... I was like, I hope Bobby, you know, will like become a peace candidate. Anyway, I don't want to go political, but I, but I relate to that. And the other one that made me think of is I got to record at George Harrison's studio in, in England, in the countryside, because I was oh. in a band with Danny Harrison and Ben Harper, and I'm playing the Beatle guitar that he painted. And I'm just like, what the heck is this? How does this happen? I'm from Ohio, dude. Like, you know yeah, what I mean? Awesome. Like... Those kind of moments where you're like, and, you know, speaking of Lou, I, I got to be good friends with Lou in New York um, because uh, P uh, Peter Gabriel signed me and he brought Lou Reed to my first gig. So I ended up knowing Lou for 15 years or something oh. like that. But so yeah, you know, the, funny, the funny thing about meeting people, huh? meeting people, most of us are just reg regular people. And right. that's, that's just that's really makes it awesome to me. It's true. I mean, you think of someone like Andy Warhol, he's from Pittsburgh. He's just a Midwestern right. kid that was a nerd that, you know, happened to be a genius, but also happened to be like insanely ahead of his time within the future. Yeah. Everyone will be famous for 15 minutes. I mean, he pretty much predicted social media. Um, pretty much. You know. Right. Absolutely. Never thought about that. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to talk about Ohio real quick in the in this what are you doing there like you went and bought like a bunch of acres for like 30 grand or something like that what's the story yeah, so, <laughs> like, how, how did that I, happen i literally just uh just just fell into that uh, uh ness and i were living uh living in woodstock we were we were renting a house up there and and uh one of my a guy that i'd known from years before hadn't seen him he just called me out of the blue i don't even know how he had my phone number and he says, I've got I've got 126 some acres. I want 32,000 bucks for it in Southeast Ohio. That's insane. And Vanessa, who just left the room, otherwise she'd be always saying, hang up the phone, hang <laughs> up the phone. But I didn't hang up the phone and we wound up moving down here and I've been there ever since. So, you know, you know, Southeast Ohio, this is not an issue anymore because pot's legal more or less. But Southeast Ohio was like a Mecca for growing back in those days, you know? 
and I and the the guy that I got the property from was was obviously in the agricultural business, and he retired or whatever guys like that do retired and, and sold us the property. And uh, we wound up, you know, we had that that music school for a piece ranch thing. We've still got a theater down here. We do shows, and uh, yeah, Ohio's Ohio's a maligned state in a lot of ways. Uh, it's a uh, of course, I live. I'm living in Athens now, an island of blue and a sea of red. Uh, it's it's just it's a wacky place to be. I mean, what what's Arizona like? Who knows? Well, you know, you live there. I know, and it's wacky as well. It's it's weird. It's like got some kind of like strange spiritual energy. I lived in New York for 25 years. I was in the city in Brooklyn, oscillating between those two. I thought I would never leave. And yeah. I couldn't be happier. I'm in Tempe, Arizona. You know, it's yeah. like, but beautiful. I, like I, I went to go visit New York recently where I met you. And um, I was happy to be coming back here, to be honest. I love New York. It's like I never leave when I go there, back there. But I'm I'm glad I don't live there now. I, I get it. And, you know, you know, because you've I lived there for a bit back in the 80s. But but I mean, you've actually lived there. It's not for everyone. It's really not. But when I went to Antioch College back in, in 59 and 60, I had a co-op job uh, working at a hospital in, in New York City and stuff like that. I remember that this and that's a lifetime ago, but it's still kind of the same. The energy of New York is unbelievable, but it mm -hmm. is nice to be able to walk barefoot. I, yeah, I mean, the, one of the main things is just the weird times we're in. And I guess we've always been in weird times and people have always said, oh, the end is nigh and all this stuff. But like, <laughs> you've been around a while. What do you think? Do you think that this is stranger than normal? Do you go into sort of conspiracy stuff or do you sort of avoid all that? But do you think we are in weird, daunting times for America, I guess? So... Um... My buddy Cassidy, my bass playing buddy, we were just talking about. We were doing some gigs out in California last week, and we we're talking about this. So if you think about, you know, when we were, when Jack and I were kids, I, he was born in '43, I was born in '4. We were kids. Um, the distant past to me would have been like World War One, but you know, in today's time. The Korea, the Vietnam War is further away than World War One was to me at that point. I mean, the, you know, the way time is mo moving, it's impossible to for me to, to you know wrap my mind around it sometimes. And of course, because of all this stuff, you know, we're all connected all the time. We're tuned into all this stuff. But I, I guess generally speaking, I don't think there's much new under the sun except that it moves so much faster now, mm. and we tend to we tend to think we know about it. True. Uh, yeah, well, nobody can really know. I mean, it's interesting you bring up your birth year because you're born on the same day as my mom, December 23rd. So Happy birthday. That, yeah. Yeah, that, that's awesome. So close to Christmas, though. What a jip, huh? Yeah, totally, <laughs> totally. I'm, see, most people don't get that. Cheated all my life. Yeah, dude, that's a rough one. But listen, um, really, thank you for coming on. Do you... It's almost over though, but do you have, uh, have, has your spiritual, has your musical evolution matched some kind of spiritual evolution? Have you become, uh, or were you always a believer in God? Are you a Christian or do you believe in spirit or are you atheist? What's your spiritual life like? So, and is it correlated with music? 
I, I definitely believe in God, although I don't identify in any, uh, you know, in any religion one way or the other. But listen, there's a lot of ways to talk to God. And I'm, my thing at this point, you know, when you're younger, you run your mouth about everything constantly because that's just the way it is. But but I figure whatever helps people get through the day, that's a good thing, you know. And uh, and that's pretty much the way I look at it. And I see, you know, you travel around. You and I get to travel around a lot and see all this stuff. And there's a lot of magical spirit, uh, spiritual things, you know, that pop up all the time. And I remember, you know, there's there's this AA thing. It's not that's not the literature, but people say it in meetings all the time where they go, uh, religion is for people that are uh, afraid of hell, and spirituality is for those of us that have been there and don't want to go back. That's kind of the way I look at stuff like that, you know. And mm -hmm. uh, you know, just at this point in my life, live and let live. I'm very fortunate. Most people don't proselytize me or give me a lot of crap about stuff and uh and it, it occurs to me also as an old guy because and you'll find out when you get older people don't care what you think anyway so it's okay i already know that <laughs> that's why i'm going to tell them what i think yorma because i know they yeah, don't care they don't care if i tell them or don't tell them right i mean exactly exactly but you know, life, you know life goes on and uh uh, every now and then, you you know, people people tell me sometimes that they, they can feel spirituality in my music, and that that's a compliment to me. I don't set out to do that. It's pretty much just who I am, I guess. You have that, man. Sometimes when you moan in between phrasing, too, that part is effective, man. Is that the Holy Spirit moaning, or is that like something you intend to do? And plus, we got to wrap this up. So tell people where to find you. Okay, it's 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 not it's not on person. I can't help it. Some love it. Some that's amazing. It. I love that. All right, Yorma, tell people where to find you if you want to be found. Do you have like a okay. social media thing? Yeah, of course. www.jormakalkinen. Check it out. Thank you so much for coming, Yorma. I really appreciate. It. Really had a good time. I hope you did too, and I hope to talk to you again soon. Do it again sometime, brother. Thanks. All right, Yorma, God bless. Peace. Keep listening to TNT, everybody. We'll be right back.